Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network in association with Muller She Wrote Media. I'm your host, Kimberly Johnson in D.C., and I am so excited. Today, I get to talk to comedian John Fugelsang. He's the host of the acclaimed Tell Me Everything series on Sirius XM. He's debated David Duke on Bill Maher. He's been murdered on CSI. He's been picketed by the Westboro Baptist Church, and he once interviewed two Beatles on different continents in the same week. Everybody loves John. I love John. You love John. I can't wait to talk to him. But before I do, the Start Me Up podcast is independent, supported by listeners, and it's woman run. A great big thank you to everybody who supports the show. If you enjoy today's podcast, visit patreon.com slash start me up. Check out all the tiers. I do include a tier with a much shorter intro and no ads. You can hear the free shows on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and they're followed up by What's Up, a show just for patrons where I talk about anything that comes to mind. It's a little more personal, kind of like my online diary. Visit patreon.com slash start me up. And don't forget, you can find Start Me Up on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. Now, please enjoy my conversation with John Fugelsang. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you very much, Kimberly. Thanks for uh, letting me come here and drag your fine show down to my level. I appreciate it. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. You know, anytime I ever mention you, it, you know, if it's on social media, because there was we've met a couple of times and there's pictures that I have where, you know, you and Bob and I are in together. Anytime I post your picture, I mention you. People, especially women, come on and talk about how they swoon over you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, uh, you know what? There's a lot of tragic women out there. And I guess I should be happy that so many fathers are just rank monsters that women would find me appealing. Oh, you're so appealing and you know it. Um, I mean, we love you. You've been around forever. I remember. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you were hosting America's Funniest Home Videos. Was that with Daisy Fuentes? Yes, that was a very wow. brief period of my yes. uh, of my misspent youth. But yes, uh, <laughs> I did that. They 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 asked me to do that years ago, uh, and I, I I thought they were kidding. Um, and I went to uh, I, I blew off the audition, and then they said, "Hey, she's staying she's staying in New York late for you, so wow. go there." So I went there, and I made fun of the show. And then they flew me out to L.A. and they put me on a soundstage, and I came out and made fun of the show, and they. <laughs> offered me the job and it was supposed to be for like half a season and it wound up being uh two seasons so it was uh, a very it was a very interesting experience for me i learned a lot wow yeah i mean i i always watch that show i remember watching it back then and you know there's been a lot of different hosts so that's why i wasn't positive it, if it was with daisy but i thought so and i'm not positive it was me but I, <laughs> that's, that's what the resume says so i guess it was Okay, and then, okay, I just want everyone to know this. I have all these different questions for you. Some of them are going to be political. Some of them aren't. I'm just going to be all over the map. It's not necessarily going to have any rhyme or reason. But I have that's so many how questions. how it is in my head, so that's good. <laughs> I'm, I'm all about the ADHD format. Okay, so in your bio, you say you've been picketed by the Westboro Baptist Church. So I need to hear that story. Oh, um, <laughs> I was doing a show in, uh, in Kansas City at the LGBT Center uh, with Margaret Show and Shelley Wright, the uh, the great uh, country singer who, mm-hmm. who came out uh, bravely a few years back. And um, yeah, they announced that they were going to come and, uh, and, and picket it. They had been going after me on uh, social media for a while wow. um, because the Westboro Baptist Church are to Christianity what Jesus was to hatred, ignorance, and inbreeding. And so um, one of my favorite topics is uh, people who claim that Jesus shares their homophobia. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's an issue very near and dear to my heart. Yeah. Um, people who want to believe desperately that Jesus hates the same people they hate. And uh, as someone who's actually read the Bible, uh, I sort of feel like it's uh, a little bit of my duty to come out and do what Jesus did and call out hypocrites. So they knew who I was, and they had attacked me several times, and they're revolting grifters. They believe in nothing. The Westboro Baptist Church's whole M.O. is to um, to have these offensive protests mm-hmm. and somehow get shut down so their free speech rights are, are denied mm. and then file First Amendment lawsuits. Mm. That's it. I don't even know if they believe right. in homophobia. They're just grifters who mm-hmm. are looking for First Amendment lawsuits. I saw them down at uh, 9-11 on one of the anniversaries, and it was amazing. They were standing there in their T-shirts and holding up their placards, and I am telling you, the minute 
the minute that their permit ended for their demonstration, mm-hmm. instantly they all pulled on black hoodies over their T-shirts. All the wow. offensive signs were rolled up and went into bags, and within two minutes, they had dispersed into the crowd and were anonymous. Wow! Like they were like a commando unit. Yeah, they're they're pretty revolting. I mean, I have nothing against being a grifter, but when you <laughs> want to abuse, uh, you know, the Jewish carpenter for the sake of it, then I got to call <laughs> you out. <laughs> you know, it's funny the the first. Not the first blog that I ever wrote, but I used to write for a, a site called Liberals Unite. And the first one that I wrote for them, I think it was the Hell's Angels. Um, I think it was the Hell's Angels went up against Westboro Baptist Church. And it was like this crazy ass viral article. It was so funny. But yeah, that's amazing that they protested you. And I, I did not know. I had no idea that that was their grift. That totally makes sense. But yeah, that, that's, that's insane. That's just insane. Oh, my God. Um, Okay, now I just want to switch gears again. I want to know, you're such an interesting guy. I watched your interview with Brooklyn Dad Defiant, and I I heard you say that, I think you said something like you're an actor first. That's your first love. Um, So you can correct me if I'm wrong on that. But I want to know, when you were growing up, like, did you, did you know you wanted to be an entertainer? And what, what inspired you? Well, I was inspired by a lot of things. I, I, you know, was inspired by my parents and their story. I was inspired by my dad as a, as a former clergyman who became a, uh, a history teacher and a profoundly uh, progressive uh, person who cared about human rights mm-hmm. and, uh, and who used the Bible and history to argue for human rights. I was inspired by all the artists I knew at the age of 11. I began working at a regional theater uh, a couple towns over and I, I was kind of done with my own age group I, and I began hanging out with adults uh, you know in comics and dancers and actors all the time I was in the production of Hamlet when I was 12 Wow! and spent uh, about you know a few months of, of seventh grade just going to the theater every night and having rehearsals till midnight hmm. and being really tired the next day in school but um, it was just the most incredible experience it, it sort of made my life go from black and white to color mm. and, um, and I was inspired by you know um great cinema and by artists yeah. and the first time i saw george carlin hmm. uh i knew i had never had a comedian make me feel less alone in the world and i knew yeah. that was something i wanted to do too and i always knew i wanted to do a lot of different things in my life and that's always been a, a real passion of mine to try to have as diverse a cv as possible when i'm when i'm done with this wow so what was your first like official job that you got paid for and you were really proud of as an entertainer? Uh, I was in a production of A Christmas Carol when I was 11, and I got paid uh, $3 a performance. (laughs) Um, So that was the first time, and that was pretty amazing. Um, You know, there's been been a lot. I mean, I, I... you know, uh, my first real broadcasting job was as a VJ for VH1. Right. And I didn't love the work, but I had a lot of, I learned a lot. It was sort of like my broadcasting grad school. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I got to do interviews with George Harrison and Paul McCartney and uh, and Bruce Springsteen. And um, so that was, that was pretty fun. And, you know, when I moved out to Hollywood and got to, you know, be murdered on CSI and, and uh, <laughs> you know, act on a lot of TV shows. That was a lot of fun for me as well. So is acting your first real love? Oh, always. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, but I've learned that acting extends to everything. Yes, um, it does. I used to really hate doing TV hosting because it wasn't acting. And then I right. learned it was really the truest kind of acting you can do. <laughs> Interesting. I mean, I was an actor for probably about a decade. I, I had the opportunity to work on Days of Our Lives. It was just a, it was a small role. I don't want to diminish it, but it was seven years, but it was a small role. And it's great. It, yeah. And it was the, it was awesome because I, I started to watch that show in the summer of 1977. My mother was moving us to California. She was driving across country and I was in Maryland living with my grandmother. I, I was nine years old, just nine years old. And I remember I turned the TV on one day just looking for something to watch and there was Days of Our Lives and it was a scene with uh, these two teenagers and their first time sexual experience and what's really funny is you know I watched that that hooked me I was very interested and I was of course not interested in sex but I was interested in watching young people you know engaging and it was I was so curious about it and the craziest thing was 
you know, I had, eventually we moved to California. And when I was probably in my very early 20s, my mother started working as an extra on that show. And then we both studied acting and our acting coach knew the casting director and we would invite casting directors in and perform for them, you know, hopefully to get auditions for the shows and so that wound up happening and everybody in our acting studio basically got hired and my mother got the most amount of work I got like probably the second most amount of work compared to my classmates and then in 2004 I had an idea to put a book together about first time sex and my mother and I you know we we worked on that together so it's just kind of funny how it all like ties in and I mentioned in the book you know watching that scene and when I was a kid and basically making the case for the book because I wanted to write, it was called The Virgin Diaries, and it was just about yeah. people talking about their first time. Not, I mean, of course, the emphasis was on some of the physical, but it was really on the emotional aspect of it. And that's, that's what I wanted because when I was a kid, I had all kinds of questions. And, you know, there's only so much I could ask my mom. So anyway, it was just funny how it all tied together. And uh, I can't say that acting is my first love, but it's certainly, like you said, I mean, it was a school. It, it, learning to act is a school, and that's what I wanted to ask you. Uh, where Did you study acting, and where did you study it? Well, um, Boston University, Circle in the Square Theater School uh, at New York University, and then lots of uh, terrific on-camera teachers and scene study teachers wow. and improv teachers um, yeah. in New York and L.A., and you're just such a natural with improv. I'm so I love improv, but I, yeah. you know, it's sometimes. Every, I mean, everyone, everyone should study improv, no matter what you do in life. Yes, absolutely. And it's funny because when I, I could do it, but it's like I look at what you do, especially I've seen you, and I know it's not improv, but when you go and do Stephanie Miller shows and and stuff, it's like just t watching you stand on stage and doing your thing. It's. It, even if you're not improving, I know you improv in the moment here and there, and your but your material is already prepared. But still, there's that live thing. You got to go with the audience, and you got to go with the moment. And I think that's what uh, improv teaches you to do really well. And it's so clear because you're right. oh my god, it's so fun watching you. And and and, and I know I'm totally kissing your ass, but I mean I just mean it. <laughs> it's well, thank like you. Whenever I go to those shows, I so look forward to your stand up because it's so. It's just so thoughtful. It's so smart. And I specifically love when you talk about your parents and religion and throw oh. it back to the Republicans. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I, I, that's very nice of you to say. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I do think that whatever you, if you're in any creative discipline uh, or any kind of public speaking discipline, improv will be your best friend because yeah. it'll teach you um, to go beyond your first choice. Mm hmm. It'll teach you to make a choice and commit to it. Mm -hmm. It'll teach you to trust yourself and trust that your brain knows everything you need and that you can yeah. build something. It'll teach you to say yes to whatever is thrown <laughs> at you and to work with the given circumstances you have. And I mean, especially if you're an actor, it's it's mm -hmm. great uh, for auditions. I think anyone who ever has oh, to audition yeah. should be taking improv. But um, but you know, for any kind of public speaking, it's it's great training as well. It's just it's something that's there that. I think gives you everything religion promises to give you and doesn't always deliver. <laughs> so what would you say that drives you now? I mean, as an actor, you, you're, you're a comedian, you're a podcaster, you have so many hats. Well, actually, it's not even, you just have a radio show on Sirius. What do you feel your purpose is now? My purpose now? I mean, uh, coming out of the pandemic is my purpose right now. That's... that's... <laughs> That's the best answer I can give you there. Yeah. Um, it, it's really all about coming out of the pandemic. Yeah. It's, it's been a, I mean, I, I was on the road all the time in 2019 and I got mm. diagnosed with mono, which was the worst in the world. I still don't know how I got it. And I couldn't tell anyone I had mono because all the comedians would just make jokes about me making out with high school girls. Right. So like, so um, when, you know, I was doing, uh, I remember I, we did a run of laughing liberally off Broadway. I headlined every night and opening night. I like had a fever on stage for 40 minutes. Wow. It was just surreal. I was so sick. And, um, and I would still do the radio show, but you know, I was already like, months and months and months of daily fevers and mm -hmm. social distancing wow. and having to stay home 
before the pandemic even hit. So in many ways, at the beginning, I felt like the pandemic was saving my life. I I will admit, when the whole world shut down, Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, prayers come true. I was like saying, oh, I wish there was a way the world could slow down. So it's all your fault. (laughs) Well, you know, it was was really like I'd just been sick for a while. So I'm now at a point where I've been doing this for almost three years, Mm -hmm. and it's great to feel so ready to get back in the world. I've done a few shows on the road and um, I've done, you know, I've been doing, started doing shows in New York again and on Monday, this coming, well, you know, very soon, a, a couple of days from when we're recording, um, we're finally going to do our first live show back mm-hmm. in the Sirius XM studios wow. since, since March 12th of 2020. So <laughs> right now I'm just passionate about getting back in the world and seeing how it feels and, you yeah. know, discovering uh, who I am now. Cause I think we've all, changed a bit from this mm-hmm. experience it depends i guess a lot on geography and how much you've been away from the world mm-hmm. here in new york i mean we were in real lockdown and you would just hear ambulances all yeah. day all night all the time wow. and uh getting back into the world is going to be a different experience for all of us you got covid didn't you yeah i did recently finally after <laughs> finally. yeah i got it we all got after two years yeah. after after uh, all the variants, after getting my shots and my booster, um, we all got it, and uh, it was a drag. Well, um, could you could you tell us? I mean, I know everybody experiences it differently, but what was your experience with it? And then, was your experience different than people in your family? It was, yeah. I think. Well, I think my wife got it at work, and um, so we quarantined her in the basement for a week, and then within a you know a week, everybody had it. Mm-hmm. And then my my little guy had to miss school. Um, my symptoms were like every symptom I've ever had rolled into one ailment. Like it was really crazy. Like one day would be the incredible headache. Then it would be the sore throat. Then it would be the runny nose, uh, the stomach, the, uh, a couple days of like incredible emotional upheaval, Hmm. um, uh, uh, muscle aches, Mm -hmm. um, one day, like it just kept evolving. And then, oh, the respiratory, the coughing. That was like about three days of a lot of coughing. Mm-hmm. My, my son only coughed for about two days. Um, and it was like, it, it wasn't really a disease. It was like a highlight reel of everything that was ever wrong <laughs> with me in my life. So, uh, and then, and then um, I started getting the daily fevers again. Oh, and I did no. all this research. And they say that COVID-19 will uh, reactivate dormant Epstein-Barr virus in the human oh, blood. No. I'm like, oh my God, it began with mono ending and it ends with mono coming back. So <laughs> I, I'm still being very cautious and uh, I'm still like taking it easy. And, you know, like I'm still doing the radio show from home, but like yesterday I was back in the studios for a while in the afternoon doing some pre-tapes for Sirius XM and mm-hmm. I reached a point where I'm like, oh, um, I have a fever. My body's telling me it's time to go home and lie down. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's... It's really impacted so many people. And every night I have people call my show and talk about how it's impacted them. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I mean, we don't know anything about this virus. We don't understand long-haul COVID at all. No. If the media was talking about long-haul COVID, Mm -hmm. I think people would be a lot more cautious. They don't know how so many people with long-haul COVID suddenly had their symptoms go away once they got the vaccine. How Mm -hmm. does a vaccine cure symptoms? Mm -hmm. Like. There's so much of this thing we don't know, and to me, the greatest proof that we're all interconnected as a people is as long as Africa remains only 15, 20 percent immunized, Mm -hmm. we're going to keep on having new variants. Like, none of us are going to be safe until all of us are safe, and Mm -hmm. it's almost like like, – you know, reality is screaming at us. We have to take care of each other and we're still not getting the message. Yeah, I know. And it's incredibly frustrating. And the thing about long haul COVID, and I'm so glad that you brought it up because they're not talking about it in the mainstream. And, and what I don't know, I just talked to a friend who, who said, look, you know, I had my second booster and I'm just, I just feel like at some point I'll probably get it. And so I said to her and I said, well, I, I understand that because a lot of people are just giving up on it. And, I, you know, I, I understand it, but at the same time, I'm still going to, because she's not wearing masks. And I said, I'm, I'm going to be masking because of long COVID. And, the, you know, the, she had heard of long COVID, but she didn't really understand it. And I, and I said, look, the thing about it is I don't even know how the vaccine would affect it. What I understand is I've been told because you get the vaccine, 
you're less likely to catch COVID, which means you're less likely to get long COVID. But people who have been vaccinated have gotten long COVID. And I don't know how that all, and I don't even know if they know how yeah. it works. And I mean, you get, you get the vaccine, you're less likely to have yeah. to be hospitalized, hospitalized and you're less likely to die. But, you know, I tell everyone, just look at, look at Kamala Harris. Yeah. I mean, this, 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 this week, she's, she's double vaxxed, yeah. double boosted. She's already had COVID. She has no symptoms and she got it again. Yeah. If that's not an ad for wearing masks and public transportation, I don't much know what is. Yeah, exactly. And so, but but with my friend, it was like I don't know where she stood after we hung up because she didn't really say anything. But she was literally surprised about long COVID, yeah. and oh, I didn't know that. So here she is trotting along, la 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 la, like oh, it'll just be a sore throat. And now I think she's starting to realize, okay, well, it might be longer. And it's not just that. I saw something. A report today that it can, you know, it gets into your brain and it can, I know that it can stay in your organs for four to five months, but that's just what they know right now. And I don't know what that means down the line. And I think nobody does. And so, you know, I mean, the chances of all of us getting COVID at some point are pretty high. But, you know, I, you know, with, with the different variants, if they're milder, if the vaccines help, if antiviral pills, all the stuff that we have you know, to, to combat it now, I'm hopeful that the long COVID situation, because seriously, if it was just about a sore throat and feeling sick for a week, I'd deal with it. But I'm still doing what I can to protect myself. And, you know, it sucks because not everyone is. And that's just yeah. life. It's the way that's that's the way it is right now. And it's just too it's just too much for me to think about. Um, I got to say, I never knew how secure I was with my penis size until... <laughs> I saw how many men felt emasculated yeah. because they had to wear a little mask. <laughs> See, you can say that I can't. <laughs> um, Actually, it's funnier if you do. But go on. <laughs> well, I get in so much trouble if I do. So, um, <laughs> Actually, you know what? We're going to take a quick break and we will be back after this message. Hey there, it's Kimberly. If you'd like to support the Start Me Up podcast, just visit patreon.com slash startmeup. You'll see all the different tiers. You can make your choice and you will have my undying gratitude. Thank you so much. Okay, we're back. Um, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, because I thought this was such a freaking brilliant analogy. When you talked with, and I'm sure you've talked about it before, but when you talked with Brooklyn Dad Defiant, you said, and I'm just going to give you the tip on this and then I want you to explain it, that everybody on Twitter needs to act like the beautiful woman at the bar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. so cool. <laughs> so, well, Twitter is, sort of, Twitter is sort of where, you know, you, you get that feeling like, like where the douchebag guys at the bar <laughs> who will, you know, never have a chance with a beautiful woman, but they can say whatever they want. They can hide their face and name and suffer no consequences for being brutes and petulant dicks in public. Uh (laughs) And they can punish the beautiful woman for not finding them interesting. Mm -hmm. And if you're on Twitter, you get a tiny sense of what that's like, Mm -hmm. where, you know, no matter what you're doing, there is uh, horrible trollish creatures who will um, attack you because of their own pain. You know, I have a very simple rule for humanity, and it's it's never been proven wrong, which is happy people aren't dicks. Yeah. And um, if you're happy, you don't want to be a dick. And if you're being a dick, you're not happy. Right. And so we all carry around our pain. We all process it different ways. Some of us punish ourselves. Mm-hmm. Some of us displace it onto others. Mm-hmm. So, um, and again, with a lot of these people, uh, if these people have accounts that have been created in the last two months, they're probably not people. And so, <laughs> you know, you, you have to learn what uh, I think beautiful women or celebrities in public mm-hmm. have to learn, which is you have to filter out and ignore uh, a lot of trifling fools mm-hmm. who want your attention. And you have to be able to just not let it get to you. And when the construction worker yells vulgar shit to you, <laughs> you've got to be able to not just walk by it, and not just walk by it without responding, but walk by it without responding and not let it poison your soul for mm-hmm. even a minute. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. Yeah, it it's is a hard. practice. But Twitter, I will tell you, you deal with so much hate. Uh, Twitter's finally made me prepared for junior high school. I'm ready now for junior <laughs> high. <laughs> I wish I could have handled Twitter before I ever, ever got into junior high. Wow. You know, it's funny. I mean, I'm going to be 54 in July, so I can say this. 
um, I was the beautiful woman at the bar, you know, put myself in the 20s and 30s and, you know, standing there, I, I, I would always tell my friends basically what you just said. It was like the, the, the dudes who felt they weren't going to necessarily get anyone would go up to the most beautiful people in the bar. And it wasn't just me because I saw it happen with other women. And you do have to have like understand and learn how to not let them affect you. And it's not always so easy. Like you said, and on Twitter, it was interesting because last night I posted, I think I quote tweeted some religious person who was freaking out because I guess there was supposedly sex toys at Target and, yes. you know, saying whatever. They, and so I just was saying, you know, there's nothing wrong with sex and people who turn it into something creepy are usually the problem. And I don't know how I worded it, but some guy who I think he had like 50 followers, but he's been on since 2012, anonymous dude said, okay, because I said sex is natural. And so I, this guy says to me, quote tweets me, and he says, okay, Miss Johnson or, or, or Kimberly, show us your tits, Miss Natural. So I, I just told everybody to uh, report him. And within five minutes, he, his account was gone from Twitter. So I got to say that felt really good. <laughs> wow, good for you. I do ignore them sometimes and I do block them or I... Um, it, you know, it's funny because I heard what you said that you said it's good to mute because these people are screaming into the void and they don't even know that you don't see them when you mute them. And yeah. my thing is the people that I choose to mute are usually blue checks um, who I don't want to give the pleasure of blocking, but uh, not that they necessarily get pleasure from it, but I, you know, I will mute them and... I, I block what I think are like legitimate trolls just so they don't hang on my thread or, or my post and say whatever they want and get the traction from whatever my post is getting. But um, I think the best advice is what, you know, you said don't let them get to you because I'll just be real quick with this and then I want to talk about politics. But um, when I was early on in, in, you know, in social media, somebody said something to me and I don't, I have no, I have no clue what it was. But it was one of those things where you know how on social media someone who doesn't know you can push your button and, it, you know, they just find that button and they push it and then you start feeling bad or whatever it is. And so I went and I looked at this person's profile and I don't even remember what I saw other than the fact that I thought, why am I letting this freaking loser affect me in any way? Why? In a year, yes. I won't even remember what this person said to me. And here I am sitting there because I think we can all fall into this trap where if that stranger online just accidentally finds your button, you know, we can yes. sit there and stew in it and feel bad about ourselves or whatever it is that they're going after. And then, you know, it's like you go and take a look at them and their profile and you're like, why do I even give a shit? <laughs> you know? Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. And by the way, the people who are really angry and upset, about sex toys for sale at Target, <laughs> yeah. have never once complained about guns for sale right. at Walmart. Yes, that's a very good point, and just so annoying. Oh my god! You, you, we got to remember something. Like you know, George Carlin had this great bit about when you're born, you're given one free ticket to the freak show, uh, <laughs> and if you're in America, you're given a front row ticket to the freak show. <laughs> and a lot of us forget and join the freak show. Yeah, and you know, and and just because the left might you know, have more compassionate political stances doesn't mean that lots of our friends on the left can't join the right. free show as well. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the reality is that, um, one of the great things that unites people on the right and the left is that we're all addicted to umbrage. Mm -hmm. Everybody yeah. in the digital age <laughs> loves to get offended. Being yeah. offended <laughs> is the new porn. And so it's, you know, I, I try to like, not get into huge fights with strangers. I only try to actually engage with anybody if I can find a way to do something that's interesting or amusing. Like I just figure if I'm going to tweet, I have to try to make it entertaining and that's it. You're so, right. You know, You're if right. I don't have something uh, uh, clever or, or a take I'm not seeing elsewhere that I can, you know, mm -hmm. be of service, I just, you know, mute them and ignore them. That is, that is so good. It's just good because I, I have been lately, I have been, 
how can I say this? I mean, without getting into all the details of it, just my, my own personal journey in life and, you know, spiritual journey and thinking in terms of how can I serve people and what can I do? Because naturally I'm quite sarcastic. I'm very sarcastic and I love being sarcastic. And of course, Twitter is the perfect place to be sarcastic. But sometimes, you know, while I might get a laugh because I can be sarcastic, I think to myself, is this really the most... Um, is this the best thing I could do? And I think you're you're right. It's like if you can find a way to either be clever or to further this along or a new take that someone hasn't thought of, if we could all just take a minute before we tweet, you know, like think about it as as opposed to just reacting and having that knee-jerk response, we would be so much better off. But then again, we are humans, so that might be asking too much. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I mean, and again, there's just a lot of haters out there. Yeah, there and, are. And, you know, Willie Nelson has a lovely new album that's coming out, and one of the tracks on it is called We're Not Happy Till You're Not Happy. Yeah. And that kind of sums that's it up. That's it. It is. It's you true. You know, um, I'm, I, I get people who get on my case all the time because I'll book conservative brothers and sisters on my show, and I'm like, yeah, it's really important to me. I, I grew up with a lot of conservatives brooklyn relatives and a lot of conservative southern relatives mm -hmm. and they you know they might be wrong about a lot of things but i'm proud of, of an ability to if not always get along with them at least that i want to get along with them yeah. i'm not here to make enemies and i always say like why is it only in sports talk can people can men disagree passionately mm -hmm. but still get along yeah that's a good point that's really i good mean if point. i if i just hate these people back they're going to be convinced that they're right mm-hmm that's so true. Yeah. And it, I mean, that's so many of us have relatives who are conservatives yeah. or full blown MAGAs. And it's very yeah. difficult. It's Painful. so difficult because I think, I mean, my experience, and I, this happens to me and my mother because we have a MAGA relative and stuff comes down in the news. And that, that's the first person we think of. Yeah. And it's like, what are they thinking? What are, you know, what is the logic there? How are they justifying? And, Oftentimes we can figure it out because it's, you know, it's right there and they'll tell you. Yeah. But and by the way, and that's always, there's always going to be that. Mm -hmm. I mean, ignorance is all, you know, we're all prone to it. And there's always going to be people who are smugly wrong about stuff. And we can either let that make us crazy or not. Yeah. I mean, look at, look at the Iraq war. A hundred million Americans were against that. The majority of the world was against that. I wish the entire world had found solidarity against us like it's found against Russia for mm -hmm. what they're doing in, in uh, Ukraine. Mm -hmm. But like, like, you know, we were proven right. All the people who were telling the right wingers that they were lying about WMDs, that they was not going to be greeted as liberators, it would not be a cakewalk that was going to kill so many innocent people, that it was going to create blowback and create new terrorists, that it was going to kill troops, and they all hated us. Mm -hmm. And when we were proven right about everything, they hated us more. Yeah. And then finally, a decade and a half later, Donald Trump gave them permission to be angry about it. Yeah. And now all those right-wingers that hated us for questioning Bush and Cheney, now they hate Bush and Cheney because <laughs> Donald Trump told them to. Yep. This whole right-wing groupthink is a Frankenstein monster that the right-wing and right-wing media have cultivated for decades. And when Trump came along, the monster found a mad scientist mm -hmm. he liked more than Frankenstein. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I used to call him Trumpenstein. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so let's switch up a little bit again. So I want to know, if you were the head of the DNC, what would you do differently and or add to what they're already doing with the 50-state strategy? So I, I, I don't know if you're too familiar with that. I talked to Jamie Harrison. I know that they've raised a record amount of money for that 50-state strategy. But I would just like to know... And, and I'm really happy about that. But I'd like to know for the DNC purposes or, you know, for what, what they're doing, how would you handle it differently or what would you add to it? Well, you know, I mean, I think the great unsung hero of Barack Obama's election year was Howard Dean mm -hmm. with the 50 state strategy. And I think it's always wise. Why? Why are you ceding uh, Alabama to Mitt Romney and Donald Trump, all these millionaires yeah. at birth? I mean, why aren't you trying to be competitive? Mm -hmm. And quite honestly, um, I don't know how popular my ideas would be. There's only so much you can do right now with uh, two Democratic senators being as bought and paid yeah. for as Republican senators. Yeah. But I think it's what you fight for, right? You've got to inspire mm -hmm. people, get out there and fight. So the big thing is that they're going to probably um, – they're going to probably gut Roe v. Wade this summer. So you have to have the plan in place how Joe Biden and Democrats can come back with executive orders the next day 
to try to yeah. secure this right because the majority of Americans support it. I think coming out later in the in the uh, late summer, early fall, and decriminalizing weed on the federal level yeah. is a great way to inspire oh, yeah. all kinds of people to come out and vote. I think student loan debt forgiveness is a way to say there's so much we want to do for you. Mm -hmm. And I think really making the case that the Democrats have tried really hard to get paid family leave, which mm -hmm. is not a controversial topic. The majority of us support it. Yeah. The Democrats tried really hard to get Medicaid Medicare, rather, to cover vision, hearing, and dental. Um, and I think if you want to get seniors on your side, you have to show them what you're fighting for. Yeah. And the only way you're going to do it is to get more Democrats. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a great campaign slogan. We're not perfect, but they're nuts. <laughs> so there are specific things that you can do. Um, and again, it, this year it's not national, so it's going to vary state mm -hmm. by state, and every state's going to have different reasons. But I, I also think that you know, all these obituaries are being written for mm -hmm. the Democratic Congress right now. And um, a lot of people are spending a lot of money to make a lot of people think it makes no point to even show up and vote this yeah. November. So, you know, spectacle is great. If the if the January 6th commission winds up making the big hot summer miniseries, all these hearings, mm -hmm. I say put them on in prime time and yeah. let us all know about it. Yeah. But, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, I am hopeful that um, – because Donald Trump is addicted to celebrity mm -hmm. and will only endorse the most famous candidates that you're going to have a lot of real dopes running. Herschel Walker is got a 60 point lead on everyone else challenging him for wow. the nomination in Georgia. Wow. And every other Republican in that race has never held a loaded gun to their wife's head or bragged about Russian roulette playing or claimed to have corporations they don't own or claimed to be valedictorian from when they mm -hmm. weren't. So I say, let, maybe we could have this be a replay of 2012, mm -hmm. where the GOP nominated people like legitimate rape Todd Aiken, right. and so many of these nincompoops. I mean, J.D. Vance, Dr. Oz, mm -hmm. Eric Greitens in Missouri, who was like not just abusing his wife, he was beating up the women he was cheating on his wife with, wow. and everyone knows it. Let these people get the nomination, yeah. and then run against their weaknesses. One thing that Joe Biden has always been good at is drawing the comparisons between what he's fighting for and what the other guy's fighting for. Mm -hmm. But again, you know, it, it, it all comes down to the people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, democracy is only good if we use it. Mm -hmm. And the Democrats aren't going to save us. Joe mm -hmm. Biden's not going to save us. Barack Obama's not going to come back and save us. And nope. Batman and Black Panther and Gandhi <laughs> and Jesus aren't going to save us. It's only going to be the people. Yeah. And if we don't show up, well, then we know what's going to happen. The authoritarians will win more. They will cock it all up and fight each other because it's a cult of selfishness, and yeah. they will turn on each other because they always do. Yeah. Um, and then it'll be better for Democrats in two years. But we've got to stay sane and grounded and compassionate and caring. And look, when we're old, we're never going to get to the finish line here. We're just carrying the baton for a generation. We're yeah. still going to be fighting for women's rights mm -hmm. and immigrant rights and seniors' rights and LGBT rights and, and you know, uh, against racism, against police brutality. We're still going to be fighting for, uh, you know, progressive taxation and, and, you know, sane economics when we're old. So mm -hmm. let's not go crazy. We're never going to actually reach a finish line on some of this. But yeah. I've seen so much progress in my life that I do believe people can do it. Just LGBT rights alone, what I've seen in my life. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of faith that people can actually do it, but evolution takes a long time. Yes, Why some people don't believe it. Yes, it does. So, okay, if a liberal said that they vote in every – if they came up to you and said that they vote in every election, but this year they'd like to do just a little bit more because democracy is on the line, what, would you, what advice would you give to them? Volunteer on the local level. Your state and local elections matter so much more than who's president. And so in your town, whatever town you live in, there is a, uh, a Democratic Party office. And, you know, I'm not a Democrat. I've never belonged to the Democratic Party. I have voted independent many, many times. But, you know, this is what it is. If you're in a safe Democratic district, then you have the luxury of the privilege of supporting a third party. But just volunteer mm -hmm. and, and, you know, try to get 10 people to promise. They'll get 10 people to promise to vote. Yes, please, people, please listen to John. Um, I'd like to know where you are. I, you must be familiar with the debate, at least online, with you know the Garland DOJ debate. Now, just in case, here's I want to just explain one thing. There is an argument out there that if the DOJ isn't indicting somebody from like the higher up in the Trump world, uh, that a lot of people 
are going to feel like they voted for justice in 2020 and they're if they're if Trump is not indicted or somebody high up is not indicted by midterms that that that's going to mean voter apathy and that Democrats are going to lose. So uh, there is that argument out there. There's also just the impatience, people saying, you know, Garland isn't doing anything. Uh, He's made a few statements about, okay, we're going after everybody, but we don't leak and all that. And still people are impatient. So where, where do you fall with the Garland one six DOJ thing? Uh, Well, you know, here's the deal. Um, Merrick Garland is famous for not having leaks, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, With Oklahoma city, with the Unabomber, um, and he's very famous at having no leaks and working slowly and getting convictions. But he's also famous for being a moderate milquetoast. Mm-hmm. That's why Barack Obama nominated him for the Supreme Court. Warren Hatch said you have to nominate someone who's moderate like Merrick Garland, and Obama did, and Warren Hatch blocked it. So, you know, um, I don't necessarily believe that Merrick Garland's going to come save us. Uh-huh. And I actually, you know... <laughs> Look, I don't think Donald Trump can be elected president again. I could be wrong. Uh, I don't think he can be. I'm with you, but, yeah. But, um, you know, do I care about him in an orange jumpsuit? Not really. Mm-hmm. I think karma works a long game, and as long as he's not appointing judges and setting policy, I don't care what he does or what happens to him. Donald Trump's got $2 billion of debt to Deutsche Bank. Donald Trump's going to spend the rest of his life shoveling money to defense attorneys and having mass mailings to uh, his gullibles mm-hmm. to try to get more donations. I mean, I, I recommend subscribing to, to him because, you know, you'll just get fundraising emails six, seven times a day. Wow. Like the guy's a desperate grifter. Yeah. And that's all he cares about is getting money right now. So, you know, I don't really need to see Donald Trump in jail. Yeah. I just need him to not be appointing shills and, you know, and, and by the way, I mean, Donald Trump's not going to appoint anybody to the Supreme Court. The Federalist Society doesn't hand him. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter who the Republican president is. The same right wing tools are going to get on the Supreme Court when there's a Republican president. I, I think we have mm-hmm. to use Trump to our advantage in every way we can. And I'm also not convinced that an indictment against Donald Trump wouldn't um, motivate larger right wing turnout. Mm hmm keep that in mind i mean yeah. uh, you can say that if you indict trump it's going to inspire people to show up and vote i don't know about that i think it by indicting trump might motivate people to think oh they got it under control i can stay home right and it would definitely motivate the racists in your town to show up yeah that's yeah and that's an extremely good point um let's see what was that i just had a question and it flew right out of my head um Okay, I guess I've got one que- I've got one thing that I want to ask you, and then we're going to get to the the last questions that I have for you, the Bernard Pivot questions. Um, there are some people, some liberals, who love George Conway, and this kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier with your conservative family members. So I think I know where we're yeah. going to go with this, but you know, and of course, there's some that see see him as a wolf in sheep's clothing. Um, I know he recommended Amy Coney Barrett for the Supreme Court. Yeah, uh, I, I, you know. Where do you stand? I mean, there, there's that, like the whole never Trumperville. I think George Conway is very specific because he's still married to Kellyanne Conway, at least from oh, what yeah. I know. Um, where do you stand with him and, and that group of people who are the You know, it's, it's amazing that like the right wing has become angrier and meaner and louder and dumber. I call them the illiterati. <laughs> and we are so uh, tired of the evil that we become nostalgic for the merely wrong about everything. Yeah. God, <laughs> and so, so we can't really let ourselves forget that these sane conservatives are the people who were wrong about everything. Uh, and George Conway endorsed everything the Bush administration did. And I would argue that the Bush that I would argue that Bush was still a much worse president than Trump. Hmm. Um, I really would. I think uh, if you count Iraqi people as people, mm-hmm. uh, Bush was a much worse president than hmm. Donald Trump. Yeah. So, um, you know, and I think that the great danger is, you know, Trump made Bush look good. Bush made his father look good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yes, he we did. tend to forget these things. Um, so, you know, uh, George and I have George Conway, the very fact that he's right about Donald Trump's criminality mm-hmm. and stupidity doesn't mean that George Conway wasn't wrong about the Bush Cheney administration mm-hmm. and the war in Iraq and trickle down economics. And I have this really terrifying fear that all of this 
Uh, it's just how George and Kellyanne do very public foreplay for their hate sex. <laughs> oh, gross. <laughs> yeah. Now what if that, that was image it? What is if that's all it's brain. about is that they have to do this so they can have like really hot uh, right wing and Nazi hate sex? <laughs> Nazi hate Oh my God, that's so gross. Yeah, think about that every time you go praise George Comet. You know, I don't want to tell people who they should like and who they shouldn't like, but I mean, my my whole thing, especially like when I look at the Lincoln Project, and I had Steve Schmidt on the show, and it was funny because I had I invited him, and we had a personal conversation just on the phone, and he was super Steve, friendly. Well, Schmidt's, Schmidt's very different. Schmidt is someone who has changed. Yeah. You know, Schmidt is someone who has changed and who has grown. Um, other people... Not so much. <laughs> Not so much. But Rick, I, I, Rick Wilson. Rick Wilson is still the guy yes. who smeared uh, a Vietnam yes. vet who lost three limbs. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like Rick. And I like Rick Wilson, but he's still that guy. He hasn't uh, turned his back on that. Uh, I think Steve Schmidt is someone who's had a very moving and very public evolution of soul. I think so too. But I will say this because I was a little disappointed when we had this personal conversation that nobody heard. He was super cool. And then he didn't like it because I, I don't know, he said something about Elizabeth Warren. This was during the debates, and I disagreed with what he said about Warren. And I said something publicly. I called him out on it. And I think he said something like, well, with all due respect, this is what she's going to get from Republicans. And I said, yeah, but you're you're just putting it out there, making it even more obvious, or whatever it was I said. So when, when he came on my show, it was fascinating because he focused more on blame. And this is while Trump was president, and he was blaming the Democrats for Trump, which was right. different than what I usually hear on MSNBC. And, I mean, he was he was nice enough to come on my show, and he upheld his, you know, he, his promise to do that, and I appreciated it. But I felt like because I challenged him, and I wasn't being an asshole, I was just challenging him, I think he didn't like that and he kind of took a pissy tone with me so I'll just put that out there but I do agree I mean he he seems to know I think he's got a good grasp on on reality but what I'm not what I don't trust is the fact that you know I think he had a good grasp on reality when he chose Sarah Palin even though you could argue he didn't but I think he understood. I think well, I, I think back then they were just trying to think what could they possibly do to yeah, beat Barack Obama, exactly. and I don't Get think a, they took the morality. And by the way, if you watch Sarah Palin's first debate she had before mm-hmm. she became governor of Alaska, you might think that she was a reasonable person. Really? Um, I don't think any of them knew how um, selfishly stupid and uh, mm-hmm. and and just. Uh, corrosively self-promoting she was that's true I, yeah I, yeah go that's go go true. everyone should watch like like facebook youtube it rather her her debate when she was first running for governor of alaska um i think that everyone especially john mccain were caught by surprise by how you know she she showed the dividing line they mm-hmm. were trying to be responsible conservatives who were wrong about everything <laughs> she was the batshit crazy cult yeah. of selfishness person yeah. it was the difference between you know the republican party used to be this conservative party with a white nationalist lunatic fringe and in our lifetime from sarah palin till now yeah. they have become the white nationalist lunatic party with the conservative fringe. fringe yes god that's so true and she is the person who turned me into a political junkie because she scared the shit out of me <laughs> yeah. i was paying attention but i was i became a junkie because of her she just I couldn't I was I remember that night that she was introduced to the world and I ran to the computer looking for some kind of dirt on her because I just knew that you know we like to build up people and then we like to knock them off the pedestal. Oh sure. And I thought are we going to have enough time because I think it was September when she was introduced to yeah. you know and so I was you know but yeah I, I she think, was I think she down. caught them all by surprise. I mean really think yeah. back to 2008 and after Bush had trashed the economy and McCain was just running this doomed to fail campaign, yeah. who who would have been a better pick for his VP? I just try to put myself in their position. Right. And if you didn't know she was this crazy, right. that makes sense. Yeah. selfish imbecile, um, you might have thought, yeah, on paper, it looks like a pretty good combination. Yeah. And it's a woman. I mean, and maybe that, maybe so, yeah. Condoleezza Rice, but this right. is back when the Iraq war showed to be all full of lies and it's why it makes me crazy when people treat Condoleezza Rice with respect instead of throwing her in the Hague yeah a hundred percent all right so politics section is over now we're going to get into Bernard Pivot's questionnaire for those of you don't know this was always asked on the inside the actor studio so it's 10 benign questions 
and the goal is to answer them off the top of your head without thinking too hard. So oh dear. let's start. I what... haven't uh, I haven't watched uh, James Lipton in quite a while, so I'll do my best. <laughs> what is your favorite word? Love. What is your least favorite word? Uh, oh, wow. Uh, hmm. Trump. <laughs> what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Being comfortable with silence. What turns you off? Stupid people. <laughs> what is your favorite curse word? Cocksucker. <laughs> or 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 come catcher. I like that one. Uh, that's pretty good too. <laughs> it's a lot actually. There's quite a few. Uh, rat bastard. Rat bastard. I like a lot. Rat bastard is my answer. Okay. <laughs> what sound or noise do you love? Running water. What sound or noise do you hate? Metal scraping bone. Ooh. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Pope. Wow. Uh, that would you would be an awesome pope. Um, what profession would you not Not for like the Vatican. To, not for the Vatican, but for people like me. Um, what profession would you not like to do? Oh, um, uh, 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 home shopping network. <laughs> okay, last question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? You get a do-over. Awesome. <laughs> so do-over mean you want to come back here and do this all again? Knowing what I know, yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I'd be a lot easier on myself. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. I still have to learn that lesson. So that's that's a hard one. Being hard on yourself, yeah, that is all me. Um, I just want to say thank you so much for being a guest on my show. I am truly honored. I love your tweets. I love you. I love everything you stand for. I love seeing you at the Stephanie Miller show. So this has really been something great for me. So thank you for being on the show. Um, before, though, tell everybody where they can find you before I let you go. Oh, you're so kind. Thank you. Well, <laughs> uh, hopefully coming to a town near you, I'm, I'm ready to be back on the road again. I just played to a full, a full house at the Stand Up New York the other night, and <laughs> it's really nice to, to get back doing, you know, material I've been writing the last two years and putting it up on stage. Um, in the meantime, I'm on Sirius XM Progress 127 every night. If you don't have Sirius XM, they have finally, after years of, uh, of, of cajoling, agreed to let us do a daily podcast oh. based on our show. So every morning, six days a week, you can hear the best of last night's show. Um, be it celebrities or comedians or journalists or politicians. And that's called the John Fugelsang Podcast, available on Stitcher, Google, or Apple. Very cool. And obviously your Twitter. What's your Twitter hang or just your name? John Fugelsang, uh, F-U-G-E-L-S-A-N-G. Good luck. And then, and then my boyfriend is on your show every Wednesday night. Bob yeah, he's, and he classes up the joint. I love having guys who are uh, taller, uh, more muscular, more handsome, kinder, and smarter than me Aww. all the time. It keeps me humble. You guys are both awesome. Of course, you can find me on Twitter at author Kimberly L-E-Y. Don't forget at the end of my name, my books are on Amazon. John, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. It's so nice to speak with you. And oh. thanks to all of your listeners. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.